welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 155, Be Not Afraid, Only Believe. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. As I look at my numbers every week and see how many people are listening and who's listening where, I love thinking about who you are. I really don't know. I don't know who you are. But as you listen to me, I want you to know that I am not qualified on paper to do this. You wouldn't look at my background and say, yes, she absolutely is qualified to teach people about the gospel and to uh, she must know lots of things. But I want to make sure you know, all I do is research and think. And I'm just as qualified as any one of you are. And so not everyone, obviously, is going to have a desire or want to do a podcast, but you are qualified within your own sphere of influence to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you get anything out of listening to me, that's what I want you to know. I believe I'm qualified because I have a testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's all I need. And that's all you need. A testimony of Jesus Christ and the Spirit will work through you. Okay. This week's chapters are Matthew chapters 9 through 10, Mark chapter 5, and Luke chapter 9. And man, in all of these chapters, so much happens. You could go so many directions with all of this. The Savior's ministry was filled with ministering to people who many might have and probably did right off. Just in this week's reading alone, we read about a paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof of the house Jesus was preaching in, although clearly his friends didn't write him off because they brought him and made sure that he got into Jesus. But I'm sure that there were a lot of people in his life and in his city that did write him off. Jesus called Matthew, a tax collector who had betrayed his people, to be his disciples. He ate at Matthew's house with many publicans and sinners. He raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead, who was a ruler in a synagogue, therefore part of the group that he often called out as unrighteous. He healed the woman who touched his clothes after 12 years of her issue with blood, which would have made her unclean and an outcast in Jewish society. He healed the blind man who were surely viewed as a burden. He cast out devils out of a man possessed. He welcomed gatherings of thousands of people without discrimination. And as he made his final journey to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going there to perform the atonement and be killed, he went through the land of Samaria, the people that the Jews hated, and vice versa. And that's just the chapters we're reading today. The Savior made an interesting observation in these chapters about the multitudes that were following him. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The Savior then follows this up by talking to his disciples, and he is observing the multitude. He says that the harvest truly is plenteous, meaning that there are so many people who need the gospel— But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And as I read that, I can't help but think the phase of the earth that we're in right now, relatively to the earth, we are few as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But think how many, that this this is the most reach that the Lord's gospel has had in the history of the world. So that prayer has been answered and will continue to be answered in greater intensity. And we have the chance, the opportunity to be one of those harvesters. I imagine that as the Lord looks at the earth in that incomprehensible, omniscient way that only he can see it, 
that he would say the same thing that he said back then. He would say that he is moved with compassion toward us because we faint and are scattered abroad and as a sheep having no shepherd. Last week, I watched a new movie that's out in select theaters called Jesus Revolution. The movie is set in the 70s during the time of the hippies, and it's a true story based on a hippie Jesus revolution. It's a really cool story. I recommend it. I really liked it. Now, the hippie movement was driven by people whose desires was to break out of the social and institutional norms of the time. They were a big part of the anti-war movement. They promoted peace and love and personal freedom. They also promoted the use of psychedelic drugs in order to expand one's consciousness. They championed sexual liberation. But in essence, they were lost but searching. And as I thought about that description, lost but searching, it can be applied to many, many groups of people. The hippies were rebelling against the values of the middle class, but I think in a lot of ways, the values of the middle class were out of place, searching to fill a void with things that can't fill it. And I think many groups of people today, including people within our own church, can be described as lost but searching. And I think all of us at certain points in our life can be described as lost but searching. It makes me feel connected with people knowing that even though we have different ideas about life and different ways of going about it and different ways of thinking, and yet we're all searching for meaning in some way, that makes me feel connected to humanity. I wanted to talk about this concept of lost but searching, just like those sheep with no shepherd, not understanding where they were supposed to be going or who to follow. In this movie, one of the main characters who starts this Jesus revolution, and in fact, he's played by Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus on The Chosen. So at first it was weird to see him in a different role, but I think he actually did it amazingly. So this character talks about the hippies in a way that I think that Christ would. He says, my people are like sheep. So my people are the hippies because he's also playing a hippie. My people are like sheep without a shepherd. They are a desperate bunch looking for an answer to their desire for meaning. Isn't that what we're seeing today? They are a desperate bunch looking for an answer to their desire for meaning. And isn't that what you see when you feel like you're a little lost in your own spiritual journey? When I think about the philosophies of men, as the scriptures would say, that have captured so many hearts right now, that is what I see. It is a world filled with desperate people looking for an answer to their desire for meaning. They're looking for Jesus and they just might not know it. Even those who have a testimony of Jesus Christ to one extent or another, like you or like me, often struggle to lose our lives in service to Jesus Christ. And as we struggle and fail to put our complete trust and faith in him, we become like those sheep, not sheep that don't have a shepherd, because when I feel lost, it's not because I don't know who my shepherd is, but sheep that are lost and struggling to see our shepherd, to feel connected to our shepherd. And as I thought about this concept, my thoughts kept returning to the Savior's initial reaction to seeing the multitude, this multitude who were sheep having no shepherd. It says he was moved with compassion on them. Is that our first reaction when we are trying to do the Lord's work and feeding his sheep and help gather his sheep? Is our first reaction to people's weaknesses or sins or trials, is it first compassion? Or do we judge or write people off thinking that it's too late or they're too far gone, or maybe 
It's not worth the effort because it's not going to happen anyway. All of the stories of healing in this week's chapters could fall into that category. People probably wrote them off as too far gone and that it was too late for them to be healed. Jesus showed time and time again that his healing cannot be restrained by circumstance. When Jairus approached the Savior, he, filled with faith, believed if he could get Jesus to his daughter that she would live. And then as Jesus followed Jairus, he stops because the woman with the issue of blood touched him. He stopped to take care of her, who also, I'm sure, had many points in her life doubted if her trial would ever pass, if she would ever be healed. And while the Savior stopped to take care of this other woman, Jairus is told that his daughter was gone, that it was too late. I wonder what Jairus was thinking as the Savior stopped to heal someone else. We know based on Jesus' reaction to this news that Jairus was afraid. I wonder if before he received the news and he was just watching Jesus take care of this woman, maybe he wondered if Christ's healing was limited by by time and was slipping terrifyingly away as he attended to somebody else. But once he gets the news, Jesus commands him, be not afraid, only believe. As Jesus went privately with Peter, James, and John and Jairus and his wife up to the girl's room, clearly from their shock. They weren't sure if it was too late or not, but Jesus proves, as he does many times, that it was not too late. Christ emphasizes many times that faith is what made people whole. Was Jairus included in that shock, or was he able to really grasp onto that command that Jesus gave him to be not afraid and only believe? I think I believe that because often Christ says, thy faith hath made thee whole. I think it was Jairus' faith that he really believed Christ and was able to wrap his mind around not being afraid, around only belief. Now, it's easy for us as we read the story, knowing the outcome, to rush past the anxiety that must have been felt, knowing that the Savior would take care of it anyway. But in our own stories, we don't know the details of our story yet. We don't know the details of the stories of others, and we don't know the details of what is ultimately going to happen with the different trials that we have in our lives. Are there times that we wonder or even feel certain that it's too late? Have we given up on the Savior? In every situation that's making us feel like perhaps it's too late for ourselves or for others, you know what the Savior would say? He would say, be not afraid, only believe. Easier said than done, right? Is there anyone or any group of people in your life or in the world that you have foolishly written off? Any people that you think that your effort to love and nurture them isn't worth it because it's too late for them, that your effort to continue to try to bring them closer to Christ isn't worth it because they've drifted too far and perhaps done too much? Is there any sin or heartache or grief or challenge you have consciously or subconsciously decided is too much for the healing that the Lord can offer? Everyone who is lost in one way or another is looking for Jesus. I have to believe that even the most wicked person on the earth, the most awful person, that spirit that got them a body, got them here on earth, there is something in them that still yearns for the God that created them. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and it is He that can heal even the most desperate and deep wounds. He can soften the hardest of hearts. He would never have us consider anyone too far gone. Because what a lack of faith on our part that would be. When Christ was asleep on the boat with his disciples, while they fought for their lives, they thought the possibility was there that all could be lost. 
They awakened Christ. He rose unshaken and asked them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he calmed the storms. All is not lost in whatever storm anyone is in. The sheep who wander, whether that's you, a stranger, someone you love, lost as a sheep with no shepherd. But their spirit is still looking for a shepherd. They are looking for meaning and truth and beauty in life. You can feel the hunger in our world. And it's Jesus that's the answer to it all. This doesn't mean that there aren't pathways and tools and people that the Savior won't use along the way to help. This doesn't mean that perhaps the solution to the problem involves changing how agency is being used. This doesn't mean to just pray harder and all your problems will be solved. But that ultimately, the all-encompassing answer is that Jesus is the answer to it all. The great healer, he who takes all who are lost, all others who might have been discarded, and heals them in a more profound way than we can comprehend. Joseph B. Worthlin talks to us about the difficult pathway that is mortality, but that there is hope. There is a plan that has been perfectly executed by our Heavenly Father and by our Savior Jesus Christ. And we just have to use our agency to take advantage. He says, I think of how dark that Friday was when Christ was lifted up on the cross. On that terrible Friday, the earth shook and grew dark. Frightful storms lashed at the earth. Those evil men who sought his life rejoiced. Now that Jesus was no more, surely those who followed him would disperse. On that day, they stood triumphant. On that day, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were both overcome with grief and despair. The superb man they had loved and honored hung lifeless on the cross. On that Friday, the apostles were devastated. Jesus, their Savior, the man who had walked on water and raised the dead, was himself at the mercy of wicked men. They watched helplessly as he was overcome by his enemies. On that Friday, the Savior of mankind was humiliated and bruised, abused, and reviled. It was a Friday filled with devastating, consuming sorrow that gnawed at the souls of those who loved and honored the Son of God. I think that of all days since the beginning of the world's history, that Friday was the darkest. But the doom of that day did not endure. The despair did not linger because on Sunday, the resurrected Lord burst the bonds of death. He ascended from the grave and appeared gloriously triumphant as the Savior of all mankind. And in an instant, the eyes that had been filled with ever-flowing tears dried, the lips that had whispered prayers of distress and grief now filled the air with wondrous praise, for Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, stood before them as the firstfruits of the resurrection, the proof that death is merely the beginning of a new and wondrous existence. Each of us will have our own Fridays, those days when the universe itself seems shattered and the shards of our world lay littered about us in pieces. We will all experience those broken times when it seems we can never be put together again. We will all have our Fridays. But I testify to you in the name of the one who conquered death. Sunday will come. In the darkness of our sorrow, Sunday will come. No matter our desperation, no matter our grief, Sunday will come. In this life for the next, Sunday will come. I testify to you that the resurrection is not a fable. We have the personal testimonies of those who saw him. Thousands in the old and new worlds witnessed the risen Savior. They felt the wounds in his hands, feet, and side. They shed tears of unrestrained joy as they embraced him. After the resurrection, the disciples became renewed. They traveled throughout the world proclaiming the glorious news of his gospel. Had they chosen— they could have disappeared and returned to their former lives and occupations. In time, their association with him would have been forgotten. 
They could have denied the divinity of Christ, yet they did not. In the face of danger, ridicule, and threat of death, they entered palaces, temples, and synagogues boldly proclaiming Jesus the Christ, the resurrected Son of the living God. Many of them offered as a final testimony their own precious lives. They died as martyrs, the testimony of the risen Christ on their lips as they perished. The resurrection transformed the lives of those who witnessed it, should it not transform ours. That transformation of body and spirit is available to all. It's available to you, it's available to me, and it's available to everyone who thinks that it's too late for them. It's available to everyone who has ever been written off by anyone. O ye of little faith, that's what Christ said to his disciples when they doubted his capabilities. I don't want to be like that. I want to be the one that he uses as a tool in his gathering. Christ teaches to his disciples in chapter 9, verse 37, the harvest is truly plenteous. There are so many people who need Jesus. There are so many people looking for Jesus. Jesus continues saying, pray ye therefore for the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That's you and you are qualified. In his instructions to the 12 disciples, as he sent them out to preach to the Jews without him, he commands them to freely give because they had freely received. I know I have freely received, and so I want to freely give. All of his commands he gives to them apply equally to us. He commands you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He commands you to bear testimony that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? It means repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ is available to all now. He commands you not to be caught up in the worldly priorities, but seek first the kingdom of God. And if you do that, you will find true meaning in life. He commands you not to overanalyze what you need to say, because if you have the Spirit, if you have charity, the pure love of Christ, the Spirit will speak through you what that person needs to hear. He reminds you that being His disciple was never meant to be easy, that you will have people that don't like what you're doing and may even hate you. He commands you not to fear men. He commands you not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He reminds you, most importantly, that the very hairs of our heads are numbered. That includes you and anyone you come in contact with. Isn't it a wonderful gift that we don't have to worry about judging other people? We can meet them where they're at and patiently help them walk closer and closer to Jesus. I want a more profound change of heart. I want to look at people and myself with eyes more full of grace, compassion, and hope with more faith and confidence in the spirit that is in them, who, whether they realize it or not, is yearning for the good shepherd. And I testify to you today that I have faith and hope in Christ, who is truly, unimaginably mighty to save. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.